All right. Let's do it. <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. I'm Kai Rizdal. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us on this Wednesday, 28 Feb. Today we will do what we usually do on a Wednesday. News and then some smiles. We will jump right into it. I will just read from my note in the rundown here. Ms. Adams, it says, we should riff on McConnell for a bit. We should, indeed. So as folks who will probably... Are listening to this will probably have heard by now. Uh, the Senate Minority Leader has announced that he will step down as the Republican leader starting in November after, as a, a AP headline says, a record run in the job. He's been in that job, gosh, for how long? Decades. Uh, uh, since his 2007. Term, so. Since 2007. Yeah. And he's 82. And uh, his term ends in January 2027. He says he's going to serve out the end of the terms, the, uh, serve out his term. Uh, but, you know, wow, there's such uh, impact that McConnell has had on the Senate and on American politics, you know, very famously blocking the Supreme Court nomination mm-hmm. of Merrick Garland, um, just sort of working with Trump in the way that he did, uh, blocking uh, Obama's, you know, administration goals, saying out loud that his whole purpose was to make sure nothing got done. I think a lot of the, we talk often on this show about the party of obstruction, right? And this idea of whether or not they get their agenda done, it's about not, um you know, moving other things forward. And McConnell has a lot to do with that. I, I think McConnell has everything to do with that in his term as majority and minority leader uh, of the Republican Party. I think I think demonstrably uh, he has been opposed to governance uh, and in favor of um, blocking the Democratic uh, agenda. And and look, to some measure, that's what uh, an opposition leader is supposed to do. But there is also some measure of you actually do have to govern. Here's the thing that gets me about McConnell. And we're going to have hagiographies mm. of him now for the next, you know, two, three weeks, right? All these Republicans are going to say, oh, my goodness, you know, such a meaningful leader and this and that and whatever. Other than Donald Trump himself, Mitch McConnell is the reason that Donald Trump is still a political force in this country. Because mm. say Ma- more on that. Sure. At the impeachment, the second impeachment, at the trial, McConnell voted mm-hmm. to acquit. And if McConnell, as the then, I guess he was minority leader, but still a man of incredible influence in the Senate, if he had said to his Republican colleagues, we will vote to disqualify him from holding further office, as is the Senate's prerogative to do when they try somebody for impeachment, mm. we wouldn't be sitting here today. This wouldn't be happening. This is true. This is very true. Another thing that came to mind when I heard this news today was sort of the timing of it, where it's coming in these very difficult negotiations to avoid a government shutdown with the funding for Ukraine and Israel and Taiwan Mm -hmm. that the Senate passed in a bipartisan measure, uh, not going anywhere in the House. He's having a rather challenging relationship with uh, House Majority Leader uh, 
Johnson, Speaker of the House Johnson, sorry, Mm -hmm. uh, House Speaker Johnson. And I wonder if he's just like, you know what? I can't get anything done anymore. Why bother? You know? Yeah. I don't. The hmm. party does what Trump says. He doesn't have a great relationship to Trump anymore. And why wait for your power to completely fade before you exit stage left? Whereas now he can leave with some of his power intact. But right now, it's it's clearly going away. It, mm-hmm. There was a time when McConnell, being McConnell, could have said, we're going to push this through House, get on bo- House Republicans right, right. get on board. And he can't do that anymore. I, I think that's exactly right. The party uh, has in many ways uh, moved past him. I did think it was interesting, though, just on the Trump thing, to read mm. in uh, Times yesterday, maybe Politico someplace, that that lieutenants of both men or uh, close former associates of both McConnell and Trump are in discussions to have McConnell endorse Trump, even though McConnell's feelings about Trump are extremely well known and they are just this side of, of hatred. I mean that hasn't stopped a lot of other. I, I know, but it, but it speaks, <laughs> but it speaks to it speaks to the to the to the transparently just feckless nature of much of the Republican Party today, right? <sighs> I don't want to go as far as all, right. all that, oh, but all right. um, I will be extraordinarily. I don't, what's what's the right word for it? I will be extraordinarily fascinated in what a McConnell endorsement of Trump actually says. Mm-hmm. Like, what are the words? Uh, that's if, fair. Totally fair. Yep. You know, what are the words that are being used? Um, yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, right. So that's McConnell. Yep. Uh, what, sure what else we'll you have got? That's, a lot more yeah. unpacked. Uh <laughs> We often talk about reading the room and how companies do a real bad job of it. And there were two examples that, you know, kind of crossed the news today of companies just not doing a great job. So remember on Friday when we were doing our Economics on Tap happy hour and the half full, half empty, they were talking about cereal for dinner. Do you mm-hmm. remember this? Yep, yep. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And, and now we know that why. is because yeah. <laughs> the Kellogg CEO was uh, suggesting that, you know, Americans, if they're struggle, struggling with high prices of food, that they might consider eating cereal yeah. for dinner. And this came up a couple of different ways. He's been saying it in interviews. They've been saying it in earnings calls. Apparently, this has been a campaign they've kind of been doing in their right? advertising. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, room, um Exactly. Read the room. Uh, I'll read here from the Washington Post. Uh, Gary Pilnick is the CEO. Gary Pilnick touted a marketing campaign that his company launched urging people to give chicken the night off and instead consume bowls of frosted flakes and frosted Uh. mini wheats. Those advertisements don't make the explicit pitch for cereal as a cost-saving move, instead showing it as a fun way to shake up a family's dinner table routine. But Pilnick brought it up when CNBC host Carl Cantilla questioned him about rising prices in the grocery store. 
Needless to say, the internet did not love it. They excoriated this dude, uh, pointing out the millions and millions of dollars he makes uh, and making lots of comparison to the Let Them Eat Cake uh, a la Marie Antoinette and uh, some social media posters saying that perhaps instead of eating cereal for dinner, we should eat the rich. So read the room. And then... Yes. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. On top of that, we have this news about Wendy's, which got also in trouble with everyone when they announced that they might have what they were calling dynamic pricing, Mm -hmm. but which everyone basically heard as surge pricing a la Uber. And now Wendy's is clarifying their statements to say that they didn't really mean surge pricing. They just meant dynamic pricing, and they're really trying to clean this up. So I'm going to just read here uh, from NBC. All right. In mid-February, Kirk Tanner, the new CEO and president of Wendy's, shared with analysts that they would be rolling out new plans to improve company profits, including digital menu boards that will more easily be able to change the prices of items, as well as testing dynamic pricing and day part offers. Right, according to Nations Restaurant News, uh, they explain that they plan to invest twenty million dollars in this. The digital boards and meant to improve accuracy, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, while initially compared in the media, including Today.com, uh, which is the website I'm reading from, to the concept of surge pricing on the Uber app when prices rise as drivers are scarce, Wendy's clarified how the company plans to use dynamic pricing in a statement on February 27th. Uh, to clarify, Wendy's will not implement surge pricing, which is the practice of raising prices when demand is highest. We didn't use that phrase, nor do we plan to implement that practice. However... This article later goes on to say, a Wendy's spokesperson had initially confirmed the digital menus as well as dynamic pricing in a February 26th statement to today, noting that the company's future ability to change prices at different times of day. The initial statement did not say the fast food chain would only lower prices with the new dynamic pricing model. Right. (laughs) Exactly. So... Read the room, exactly. corporate America. Read, read the they can't, room. They can't read the room. I, it's the most remarkable thing. It is the most remarkable thing. I wonder how much wealth you have to have before you get that out of touch. So much. So much. Yeah. I, you know? And, and perhaps that's not fair. It's not that it's the one person making these decisions. There were a whole team of people probably spread off, spread out across multiple income brackets who played into coming up with this strategy and they all were probably like this is a great idea and the person who thought this is a terrible idea somehow got shot down in the meeting and so here we are and now it is what it is right exactly all right so uh i guess we should move on to smiles let's let's do smiles here shall we keeps crapping out. If that's why my video is going away, I apologize. Anyway, go ahead. What do you got? What's your smile? 
I uh, am going to mark the tail end of Black History Month with this super fun article I saw in Vox digging into the history of Soul Train. And as they say in the headline, the revolutionary spirit of Soul Train. It says Black creativity found a home on Soul Train and made TV history. There were a bunch of different details in this article that I did not know about Soul Train. So, for example... Um, it had more than 900 episodes across 35 that's years. That's a lot of episodes. And it launched career, launched musicians like Tina Marie, Curtis Mayfield, The Jackson 5, Vivica Fox, Jody Watley, and Rosie Perez to new heights of fame. Oh, wow. It included celebrities like Patti LaBelle, Elton John, Little Richard. And yeah, it's... You know, even though I am too young for Soul Train, it still just resonates. I mean, every party, you know, wedding mm-hmm. and, and get together will still have the Soul Train line, even for people who've never encountered the show in real life. But what's very fascinating about this sort of analysis of the history of the show is that it created this space for spontaneous creativity in terms of the people showing up and dancing and trying out new moves and things like that. Whereas now we live in a world where those sorts of expressions are so curated and you often don't see them until they are perfect, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Even somebody's TikTok dance, you'll see the finished product. Maybe you'll see a couple of bloopers or how they got there or whatever. But for the most part, you see perfection at the end as opposed to the process and we've probably lost something um but it soul train last interesting detail remains the longest first run syndicated television series in broadcast history that's something yeah that's something Hmm. and the ads that ran during soul train very famously highlighted black hair products and black Uh. hair products tailored towards people's natural hair texture in an environment where it was there was still just so much pressure for people to straighten their hair or to have more conforming mm. hairstyles and during the show you could see the celebrations of people with afros and things mm-hmm. like that which was unique at the time i thought oh, yeah, that was totally. cool uh, that whole what's your smile is fascinating uh okay mm. mine is not a smile smile it's a wow how about that kind of thing uh once again seen on uh uh twitter um a, by a space observatory in um palo alto california repeated uh online by several uh, very reputable sources so i feel confident in pointing this out i would just read this mm-hmm. at 0630 utc today which is to say 630 greenwich mean time we observed a conjunction at 608 kilometers between two non-maneuverable spacecraft a derelict russian satellite and an operational nasa satellite which is to say 375 miles above the earth give or take in low earth orbit where so much stuff is that we depend on satellites the space station a bunch of stuff two non-maneuverable spacecraft came within 20 meters of each other maybe 30 yards maybe 30 yards and here's why this matters uh the resulting debris of a collision between these two objects would have uh, resulted in anywhere from 2,000 to 7,000 cataloged fragments that is to say space junk all of which begets mm. more space junk. If you've seen the Sandra Bullock movie Gravity, you know what I'm talking yes. about. Or two things smash into each other up there. They create debris, and that debris hits other stuff, and it's more debris. 
Space is crowded, man. It's called the Space Kessler is syndrome, crowded. by the way. Good for you. I had no idea. Well, because one of the first sets of stories I did when I got hired at Marketplace was a three-part series on orbital debris. Oh, that's And I so interviewed funny. the guy who Kessler syndrome is named after because, like, decades ago, he was like, hey, if we keep sending stuff up into that's space wild. without a deorbiting process— we're going to get this knock-on effect where debris causes more debris causes more debris. And it was funny because, um, you know, he said at first nobody really took him seriously. And I was like, when you go to conferences now, do you just walk around and say, I told you, told so? you so? He was like, I don't. And he was like, I don't have to. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> it's Oof. funny, but not. Funny, anyway. but not. Space is crowded. <laughs> this, yeah. And this was, was uh, funny, but not make me smile. So there you go. Yes. All right. Well, we got a lot in today. Mm -hmm. uh, but that is it for us today. Tomorrow, we are going to be back to do something we haven't done in a little while on this show. We're going to be answering uh, listener questions. And we still have time if you want to send some in. So you can email us, you can call us, all those good things. You know the drill. You know how to do it. Email us at makemesmartatmarketplace.org, voice memo or voicemail, I forget. 508-UB-SMART. <laughs> U-B-S-M-A-R-T. They're the same thing. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Ellen Rolfus writes our newsletter. Today's program was engineered by Juan Carlos Torado. And Talia Menchaca is our intern. Ben Talladay and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music. Our senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.